If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor. And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonour others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completedness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, and I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith. Hope. And love. And the greatest of these is love. Well, good day, everyone. Good morning. My name is Scott. Really good to be with you here today. Well, decisions, decisions, decisions. Life is full of making decisions, right? Decisions about what we're going to pursue. I remember being in my final year of high school and about halfway through the year, our teachers dumped a big, thick book on us. It was about a 250-page tome of a thing. It was ridiculous. And in it is just the full details of all the university courses that that you could possibly do across Australia. And they say to us, now, go on everybody, make your choices. What are you going to pursue with your life? I remember feeling entirely overwhelmed by the whole situation. I didn't know what I wanted to do back then. And this ridiculously thick book certainly wasn't helping me. But at some point, we've all got to make that call, don't we? What's important to me? What am I going to pursue in this life? What kind of job do I want? And if I want that kind of job, what kind of training do I need to do to get there? What kind of friendships do I want to pursue? Who should I marry? Or should I even marry at all? How am I going to raise my kids in this world? What do I invest my money in? What do I invest my time in? What do I do with my retirement? The questions throughout life will change, but at each point I'm still making a decision. What am I really going to pursue and throw myself at? 
In church here, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians. It's a letter sent to a church in an ancient Roman city called Corinth sometime around the first century. And in this church, they've figured out what they want to pursue. They value giftedness. And that's what they want, impressive spiritual gifts, the kind of things that will make them stand out from the crowd, the kind of things that others will look on them and go, I want what they've got. But last week in chapter 12, we saw that God was challenging them. He said, it's not about what gift you have, because I've given you these gifts and I've given it to you for the sake of the church. So don't use it for your good, use it for the good of your whole church. And this week, God shows this church what they really ought to pursue. And as we listen in, we're going to hear it too. What is the thing that we really ought to be pursuing in life? And in a word, the answer is love. So here's the first point for today. Pursue love because it's better than than any gifting you could have. And there really are two reasons why love is better than anything. You see the first reason in verses 1 to 3. Let me read verse 1 for you. It says this. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. When I was in primary school, very occasionally we'd get a music lesson and there was a whole bunch of percussion instruments there and you all kind of dived in and grabbed something and then the teacher spent about 30 minutes trying to stop us all from being too noisy. But but everybody in this, they all knew what the real prize was. It was the cymbals, of course. Because if you got those, well, you could make the biggest, you could make the best, the loudest noise of everyone. When you've got an orchestra playing together, the cymbals are great. They add that great little oomph at the really high parts of the musical piece. But in the hands of a couple of 10-year-olds, especially if I'm one of those 10-year-olds with no musical timing, it's not so nice, is it? No, cymbals are not so nice then. And that's the point in the passage here too. The, the gift of tongues seems to be people speaking in different languages that the speaker doesn't know. And it's a mighty fine gift. But without love, this gift means nothing. It's the same in verse 2 and 3. Check it out, verse 2 with me. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. You see that there? You can have great gifts, prophecy, knowledge, mountain-moving faith, even the gift of being heroic in your giving or heroic in your endurance. But if you do it all without love, it's, it's nothing. Without love, these great gifts mean nothing. And I think deep down, we all kind of get this, don't we? The brilliant doctor with no bedside manner, or the school teacher who gets results but has no empathy for their kids, there's something missing there. There's something kind of wrong with that. And it's the same for us as a church. We could have great Sunday gatherings, you know, talented musos who are better than the Beatles, preachers with that kind of X factor that change our lives every week, kids program better than going to a live Wiggles show. We could have the best, the brightest people running the greatest programs having the slickest social media presence, and we could think we're doing great. And we might even get results, you know, attendance through the roof, giving off the charts, future leaders popping up everywhere. But friends, if we do this all without love, what does God say? He says it's nothing. These great giftings are nothing. It's not that we shouldn't put our best foot forward, but it's that 
We cannot leave love behind, ever. We're not a business where all that matters is outcomes. We're a church. We're Jesus' church. And he says, the way you treat people matters. Love matters. So in life, pursue love. But there's a second reason why love is better than any gifting. And it's this, that gifts have a use-by date, but love continues on. You see it in verses 8 to 13. Let me read verse 8 for us. Verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. You see there, love never fails. But gifts, their usefulness runs out. When I first moved out of home, I lived in a share house with four other guys and we had a rule in the house. The rule was everyone had to buy their own milk. That way you were responsible for making sure that you could have breakfast each morning. Uh, so this particular morning I got up, uh, get the cereal bowl, put the cereal in, open the fridge. And of course I remember, oh no, I used the last of my milk yesterday. What do I do now? As I'm standing there with the fridge door open, I notice, ah, I've got a housemate. and He's got plenty of spare milk. So I thought it can't hurt if I just have a bit of his now, can it? And besides, I'll pick him up some extra milk later on. So I sit down and put his milk on my cereal. And as soon as the food touched my tongue, I knew there was a problem. Sure enough, go back to the fridge, look at the milk. And the use by date is about five days ago. So that morning I had to settle for toast. But you get the point, don't you? Milk is great, but it has a use by date. And after that, it's really not worth a dime. It doesn't matter at all. And God is saying to us here that gifts are just the same. They're great, but they have a use-by date. So look at verse 12 with me, verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am known fully. It's saying that a time is coming. Jesus will return. And when he does... Some things aren't going to be so useful anymore. At that time, who cares if you can prophesy because we'll all know fully anyway. But there is something that doesn't have the use by date. Verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So their love remains. Love will continue to be central to who we are even after Jesus comes back. So friends, pursue love. You could be the most gifted person in the world. You could be a church with the most gifted people in the world. But without love, those gifts mean nothing. And one day those gifts are going to pass their use by date. So friends, pursue love. That's the first point for today. And the second point is like it. Here's point two. Pursue love because love is beautiful. Uh, Read verse four with me again from verse four. It says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It's, It's beautiful, isn't it? Patience, kindness. Not self-seeking, no dishonouring of others. These things are beautiful. 
And I reckon we hear that and we go, yeah, I like that. I want that. Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, some people, I heard them used to say, you take this passage and wherever it says love, take out love and put your name in there. And so it reads something like, Scott is patient. Scott is kind. Scott does not envy. He does not boast. And the reason for doing this is it was supposed to inspire me to be like these things. But it didn't. It actually left me feeling really quite frustrated because because I could try and try and try, but I kept falling short of the mark. Scott wasn't always patient. He wasn't always kind. He did envy and so on it went. But a couple of things I, I think are helpful though here. One was, I was thinking that this was a destination that I needed to be at and needed to be at now. But instead, actually, I think what we want to, how we want to see this is that it's more like a trajectory. What trajectory is my life on? Am I more loving like this now than I was last year? What direction is my, is my life moving on? More like this or less? And that helps because it, it makes me kind of think back, to reflect back and see the way that God has been changing me. Might just be bit by bit. It might be little, little by little by little. But more and more, God is shaping me by his spirit to love like this. And the second thing to say is it's meant to be uncomfortable. The Corinthians church, as, as they're hearing this for the first time, it was meant to be uncomfortable for them because they weren't like this. They were pursuing giftedness and love got left behind. And so as we read it, it's meant to be a little bit uncomfortable for us as well. It's meant to show up my, my rough edges, my, my, my pride and my anger and my holding on to grudges. It shows me these rough edges, but it shows it to me so I can repent, so I can come to Jesus, ask for forgiveness and repent. Loving like this might be uncomfortable. So I want to ask us then a question, friends. Are we up for this? At our church, we have a vision. We want to be those who love God, who love one another, and who love the north of Adelaide. But this passage shows us love isn't easy and comfortable. It rubs up against our hard edges. It wants us to change. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, this sounds really nice, but are we up for it? Are we up for it, friends? You might be sitting here today and given everything I've said about love, it's really beautiful, but it's also really hard. And so given that, where do we actually see this? In practice, what does it look like? Well, ultimately, we see love. We can see this kind of love and the beauty of this kind of love. We see it in Jesus. Because what's really at the heart of this love? It's it's regard for others. It's self-sacrifice and giving up my wants and my desires. It, it, it's other-oriented. The Bible talks so much about the love of Jesus for you. But Jesus' love is not the kind of love that thinks, I wonder what I can get out of this. Jesus' love isn't even the kind of love that expects some kind of mutual benefit. Jesus' love for you is self-sacrifice. He, he deliberately gives up his wants and his desires for your good. Listen to these words of Jesus. This, this, this is spoken on the night just before Jesus is killed. And he's with his closest followers and he says to them, Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. Friends, do you know Jesus' love for you? It's the most beautiful thing you can see. For Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not boast. He is not proud. 
Do you know Jesus' love for you? If not, we'd love to sit with you as you check this out. Because as a church, we think there is nothing more life-affirming than getting to know Jesus. Why not get to know him a little bit with us? In a moment, Coops is going to tell us about a communication card. And on that little card, there's a box that says, I'd like to hear more about Jesus and the hope he offers. Why not tick that box? We'd love to be in touch. We'd love for you to get to know Jesus. I just want to end today by thinking practically about this and thinking for our church in the time we're at, what does this mean for us in the next little while? Because the next little while is going to be pretty big for our church. Um, soon we're hoping to regather uh, on a Sunday. And, and I know plenty of us are excited about that. I'm really pumped. I'm so keen to get back together. And as I said last week, when we do, there's going to be lots of things for us to do, lots of work to be done. But as we do these things, as we do this work, what kind of church do we want to be? What's at the top of our priority list? Is it getting things done? Or is it making sure we love one another? Yes, let's get things done, but let's not do it at the cost of love. This whole process of coming back together may not be as easy as we might hope. There might be lineups as we uh, write down our details and come in the doors. There might be slight delays as we get our processes right. There might be differences in what some of us think is okay and what some of us are not okay with. But amidst all this, we need to remember, who are we? We're those who've been loved by Jesus. And because we've been loved by Jesus, that drastically changes everything. It means that now we pursue that love as well. Another thing that's big for our church soon is that we're hoping to start a new church in a different part of the city, a place that will reach out with this great news of Jesus' love for us. And as we start this new church, what's the culture that we want to set? What are the, what are the norms and the patterns that we want to instill? Again, it's got to be driven by love, doesn't it? That, that, that we are those who have been loved by Jesus. So we must be those who pursue love. Friends, let's do that. The next little while is going to be big. As we go through this together, let's keep pursuing love. Let me pray that we do that now. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his self-sacrificial love for us. Help us to love like he does, more and more. Change us by your spirit, we pray. And we pray in the next little while, as our church goes through Big things, changes, new things happening, regathering and a church plant. We need your help, Father, to love in these times. Please be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.